All right, for the rest of us, let's find in our Bibles, Romans chapter 5, once again, and for the last time, at least in this series through Romans, we're going to finish this chapter up this week. Pastor Graham's going to be bringing the word next week. I'm going to be out of town. Natalie and I are going on a mission trip to Mexico. <laughs> To a resort there where we hear there are a lot of lost people. (laughs) Sharing the gospel, I suppose, maybe, if we find opportunity. We're going to be looking one last time, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. I just want to read those verses once again. We'll pray, and then we'll jump into this message. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin was indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's just pause now and ask God's blessing on this passage. Father, we come before you and we just ask for your Spirit's help now in both hearing the word and understanding the word and applying the word. And I'm asking for the Spirit's help and gifting in teaching and preaching and exhortation that he would guide me throughout this message and because he knows the hearts and minds of everyone here and he knows perfectly and fully about your heart and mine and so I pray for his help now as we finish up this important chapter and I ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. If you remember, the whole chapter, chapter 5 of Romans, is a chapter on assurance. 
where Paul is in some ways sealing the deal of the first four chapters and showing how through Christ and through the cross how you can be in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus and how you can be certain of your relationship with God not just now but forever and that God wants his people to have assurance based upon not their own goodness or works or zeal or passion or knowledge or any of those things but based entirely now on what Jesus his son has done that's what the whole chapter really is about and in these verses what he does is he presents now he brings us all the way back to the beginning of the Bible and the first man Adam and specifically zeroes in on chapter 3 and the fall of Adam into sin. And what he's going to do is he draws a comparison now between Adam and Christ. You'll notice that the text says that Adam was a type of the one to come. Now a type is a very important thing to understand. A type means that that person or that thing in the Old Testament that, that God was doing through them was to point us to something being fulfilled in Jesus. That's what a type is. It's divinely designed. It's not something you come up with with your creativity. It's something that God has placed there so that when you read that account, even in the Old Testament, you're thinking about Jesus. You're seeing how it points to Jesus himself. And what we're seeing is that Adam as the first man and the representative of the whole human race failed and fell and disobeyed and the results of that spread to the human race. But in a similar but far greater way, Jesus, the one we sing about as the truer and better Adam, obeyed and was righteous for us and so that all his work and his obedience and his righteousness is spread to all those who believe in him. The main question of this passage, friends, is this. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? When you are born into this world and living your life, you need to understand you're born in the condition of Adam. Meaning you are born dead in sin. You are born with a heart that is bent against God and not towards him. You are an enemy of God when you're born into this world. It doesn't matter if you were born into a Christian family it doesn't matter how often you've gone to church or how much good or bad you've actually done. When you're born into this world, you're born in the condition of Adam. Theologians call it original sin, not that it's the original sin he committed, but it's the sin now that we all possess, you see. And what Paul is putting forth is Jesus as a truer and better Adam. He says, you want to be in Christ now, not in Adam. You want to be in Christ, and the way to get from being in Adam to in Christ is one simple word that we've talked a lot about in these chapters in Romans, and it's the word faith. 
How do you be in Christ? How do you receive all of the blessings from God that come to us through him? How do you get out of that original state of sin and depravity and condemnation and judgment? Well, friends, you do that by trusting in Jesus Christ, you see. And if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, you're in Christ. So as Paul will say in Romans 1, or Romans 8, rather, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's what he's doing. He's putting forward this comparison between Adam and Jesus and showing us, as always, as through the whole Bible that we've seen, that Jesus is the the hero of the story, right? He is the one that was promised to Adam and Eve in the garden when they fell. He is the promised descendant through the line of Seth all the way to his birth 2,000 years ago. He is the one you need to look to, pay attention to, listen to, uh, and believe in, you see. You need to receive this, by the way. Let me point something out to you. Verse 17, I may come back to it at the end. Verse 17, for, because, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more, now catch this, will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's for those who receive, right, the abundance of grace. That is then on you now. When you hear the gospel of Jesus now, you are presented with a command and a choice. The command is to repent and believe, and you have the choice whether you're going to repent and believe. Now, you all know me theologically. I know enough to tell you that God's working in the heart of those who believe. I believe that, but we can't bypass this human responsibility here. That we believe, we receive this gift from God through the Lord Jesus Christ and then we are in Christ and not in Adam and then instead of death and sin reigning over us and grace and life reign over us instead of unrighteousness and condemnation that we received in Adam now we receive uh, uh, eternal life and the righteousness we need to stand before God you know friends Listening to preaching should not be a passive event. Throughout any good sermon, you are presented with things that you need to believe or do or change or think or even feel. Don't sit in passivity and not respond to those things. And this one is probably the most important. No, it is the most important thing. That you are believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are not, then you look to him this morning and you cry out to the Lord. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10. You look to Christ. If you do, then you are justified. You have eternal life through him. Now, Let me draw out a few particulars. That's kind of an overview of this passage. I wanted to make sure I got that out in the beginning because we don't have the time in our 
time through this particular passage to break up every single detail. We're only spending two weeks, so I wanted to give you the main idea there. But I do want to bring out some of the detail here, and I think it'll be helpful for us. First of all, and I'm just going to number these. Number one, the account then of Adam in the garden, back in chapter 3, according to the Apostle Paul, gives us the explanation, the explanation for all of the evil and suffering and death in this world and in your life. The explanation, according to verse 12, is that just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Under that heading of death, we could encompass every negative event of suffering that human beings encounter has come into the world through sin. Why is there suffering in the world? In one way, it's a very easy answer. Very quick for a person who knows the Bible to just kind of fire back at that question. The reason they're suffering in the world is because of sin. Because when God created the world, he looked at what he had created and he said, this is very good. Genesis 1. Genesis 3, the fall into sin and now things become bad. Well, what happened? Human beings sinned against God and that has brought all of the destruction we see here. That's why I read chapter 4. That's why I read Cain and Abel. You see it right from the beginning. Why so much hostility? Why so much hatred? Why so much evil? Why so much suffering? Why death? Because of sin. That's what God said would happen. That's what happens, you see. This gives us the account of the explanation for all of the evil and suffering. Sin is the why behind of most people's biggest questions in life. And sin is the biggest problem that human beings have whether they recognize it or not. Sin, friends, listen to this, ruins everything. Sin ruins everything. Right from the beginning, there was a ruined relationship between Adam and Eve and God. It had been fractured and ruined. And we see right away that even relationships between human beings was ruined. Cain and Abel, prime example. Sin ruins everything. Sin is a relationship destroyer between us and God and between one another. Friends, this is why the gospel is such good news because in the last Adam in Jesus, he has come, right, to destroy the works of the devil and to create, listen, a new humanity. There's a new beginning now in Christ. He's making a new humanity of people who are right with God, right? who have a right relationship to God now, that's been fixed through his cross work. Not only that, he's now making a new humanity, friends, listen, that has a right relationship with one another. Do you ever wonder why your New Testament is filled with commands for the people of God, Christian people, to love one another? One of the reasons is because we are this new humanity now that doesn't have the uh, Cain-like 
envy and jealousy and deceit and hatred and murder like we see out in the world. See, the world can't get along. The nations can't get along. The people groups within the nations can't get along. But the church now, this is the new humanity. This is the beginning of Jesus, the newer, truer, better Adam, making things the way they're supposed to be, you see. This is why our relationship with God in worship, our relationship with one another in fellowship is so vitally crucial Uh, crucial to the testimony of the gospel itself. Look what it does, you see. Look at how it brings together people who would have never in life, because of their life situations and life stations, ever had a conversation. Let alone get together every single week in a worship service or get together in a Bible study or in one another's homes because they'd have nothing in common. But this is what God is doing now through Jesus creating this new fellowship together. Well, that could be a sermon in and of itself. But just know that through Jesus now, the new humanity is being created. Number two, you'll notice in this passage, and I think this is really important to catch. Paul pins the blame for suffering and death on Human beings, and Adam particularly, I'll show you that, and then all human beings. But he pins the blame on Adam and all human beings and not on God and not even on the devil. We know from Genesis 3, the devil was present there in the fall, but he's not mentioned in this passage, interestingly enough. The blame for sin and suffering is on Adam and upon us not upon God. Do you not find it interesting that when people suffer in this world, the first being they want to blame is God? And the biggest question is, well, if there's a good God, then why is there so much suffering in the world? I mean, how could a good God allow this kind of suffering? Paul wouldn't think that way at all, would he? Matter of fact, say, how are you blaming God for the consequences of our actions? Because don't forget, when God creates something, He creates it very good, with no suffering and with nothing but life. It is human beings, it is Adam and the transgression of Adam himself that has brought sin and destruction and death into this world. We can't blame God for that. Matter of fact, this passage is teaching the wonderful truth that God is the one doing something about it. That God has a plan through His Son to make a new world in which there is no death or suffering or sorrow. You see? Suffering and death then do not come from an unrighteous act of God, but from the unrighteous act and acts of human beings. And you'll notice in this passage too, and this is important, that we can't just say, hey, way to go, Adam. Thanks for nothing, man. You just had to have that fruit. You could have eaten any other fruit. Thanks, Adam. But the way Paul words this is such that we all are to blame 
for Adam's action. Did you notice what he says? Therefore, just, verse 12 again, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, not because Adam sinned, because all sinned. Theologians grapple with this and what exactly he means, but I'll tell you the main thing he means is that we have all sinned. Didn't he say this back in chapter 3 when he said there is no distinction now between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I think by the time we get to chapter 5 verse 12 after we waded through those three chapters of our sin we should all be in agreement on that. Adam as our representative head fell and yes I believe that his failure was credited to the whole human race. And not only that his Inherent sinfulness and that spiritual death that he got after the fall was spread then to the whole human race. But regardless of what exactly transpired between God and Adam and how that affected us in the fall, what we do know is that we're all sinners that fall short of the glory of God and therefore we are as guilty as Adam. And therefore sin and suffering in this world is on us. You see, it's not on God. We cannot blame God for our sins. You ever noticed how it is the natural inclination of a human being to get to blame someone else for something they've done wrong? And we live in a culture and a society that just shirks at personal accountability. Everything I've done wrong, everything I do wrong, well, that's someone else's fault. Matter of fact, some people pay others a lot of money to help them walk through why their sin is someone else's fault. The Bible just doesn't allow us to do it, does it? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and therefore... Suffering and death spread to all men. The first thing in the garden when the Lord steps on the scene after Adam and Eve had uh, fallen, asked him what he did. Well, why'd you do this? Why'd you sin against me? Well, Adam says, Lord, the, the woman you gave me. Which is a dual blame, by the way. One on the woman and one on God. If you hadn't given me this woman, I'd have been all right. I was okay here. Of course, the woman said, well... She didn't have anyone to blame, so she said, well, the devil, he made me do it. It's it's our first response to shift blame, but the Bible won't let us do it. The point is clear. We all sin, therefore we are all guilty as charged, and that is why there is suffering and death in the world. And not only that, but God in his grace sent his son, the new Adam, to reverse the effects of the fall. He sent his son who suffered. Have you noticed that throughout this passage, you came across that term, grace. The grace of God bringing in this free gift to all those who would receive it. It is all our fault, but what has God done in his love, you see? In his love, he has sent his son who became a man for us and lived the life we could not live uh, on our behalf and went to the cross and died the death we deserved. Grants to us through faith alone this grace and forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing. 
Number three, Genesis 3 and Romans 5 combined then demonstrate clearly how serious sin is. Please listen to this if you haven't, if you've zoned out for whatever reason. How serious sin is, how serious God views all sins, even seemingly minor transgressions. What do I mean by that? You know, God gave Adam one command. He said, you could eat of any tree of this garden, just not this tree. That's it. Adam disobeys God one time. One time. And as a result of that one offense, that one disobedient act, that one trespass, that one sin, now death and suffering have spread to all men. It wasn't a series, Adam, it wasn't a series of sins that Adam committed. It wasn't some kind of addiction he was battling that he just kept falling into. It wasn't a a lifestyle of debauchery and riotous living to finally God says enough is enough. It was one disobedient act. The text in verses 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 emphasize one act, one act, one sin, one trespass in all of the destruction and devastation of that one sin spread to all men. I mean, watch the news for one day. Write down every negative, evil, unrighteous thing that you can see on there, all of the pain and the suffering, all of that has resulted from one act of disobedience. Friends, does God take sin seriously? Sin is no small thing to God, and there's no such thing as a small sin. Remember in Romans chapter 1, and at the end of that passage, verse 28, he said, since they did not, he's talking about humanity here, and he says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Friends, on that list, are there any sins that you're guilty of? And God's righteous decree, just as it was in the garden, the day you eat of this fruit, you will die. Dying you shall die. His righteous decree, his righteous judgment is that all sin, not just some sins that we like to categorize as worse than others, but all sin, any sin, is worthy of death and condemnation. That's how serious he sees it. That's how serious he views it. 
Which is why, friends, we need to be so grateful for Jesus who obeyed in everything. He fulfilled all righteousness. He fulfilled every aspect of God's law. Every millisecond of every day of his life all the way through the cross. And he obeyed right through the cross, enduring all of the punishment and death we deserve, you see. That is good news for sinners like us. Number four, quickly. Therefore, sin is damning and destructive and deadly. Young people, children, if you can, I know what it is to be a child and a young person in an auditorium listening to a pastor make noises and not know what he says. I grew up that way. But listen to this. Sin is damning and destructive and deadly. The result of sin is condemnation, is eternal judgment. It does destroy relationships. It destroys lives. And the problem now as then back in the garden, the devil is a liar. Jesus said it. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. He's been a liar since the beginning. And the first thing he did with Eve is make her think sin wasn't that serious and it wasn't destructive and it wasn't deadly. He said to the woman, you will not surely die. What a lie. And then he makes sin look attractive. He said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that that the tree was good for food, listen to her, look at it. Listening to the devil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's just the pattern that the devil does. And he's very good at making bad look good. And you live now in a culture, one of the problems is you live in a culture now in which the culture itself and its main thinking forces, think social media, entertainment industry, universities, public schools, they take evil and they actually, as the mouthpiece of the devil, put it before young people and say, this is good. This is okay. Don't listen to your fuddy-duddy parents or grandparents in their fuddy-duddy little church that they go to talking about sin. Look at how good this is. And certainly, friends, to sinful eyes, it looks wonderful. And it looks delightful. And it looks enjoyable, you see but it leads to destruction. And friends, we as Christian people, do we not fall prey to the same kinds of the devil's traps? 
Remember James 1, verses 13 to 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. There again, we can't be blaming God for things. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person, each one of us, is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires. The devil tempts, he goes right for your inner wrong desires. And desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Friends, that's why we must learn to take sin seriously, right? Romans 8, verses 12 to 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Then number five, last one. This passage, Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, presents Jesus as the only solution to the world's evil and suffering and death and your own evil, suffering, and death. Jesus is put forth here as the only solution for all of the evil and suffering and death you see in this world and you encounter in this world, you see. Our world thinks it has the solutions to all these, this mess They think they can think tank their way into solutions. They can politicize their way into solving it all. They can educate their way into solving all of the issues of life and sin and suffering and death, but they cannot conquer it. It reigns. Sin and death, did you notice those words in there, has a ruling, reigning effect And there was only one and has only been one who can dethrone sin and death. And his name is Jesus. Through Adam's sin came death and judgment and condemnation. Through Jesus comes grace and righteousness and justification and everlasting life. God has done for the world what it did not deserve and what it could not and cannot do for itself in sending his only son who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, who was pierced for our transgressions, was crushed for our iniquities. With his wounds and his alone are we healed because all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the new, truer, better, last Adam. Friends, the iniquity of us all. So that, verse 21 As sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'll end this with the way I began it. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And I'll once again end it as I began it. You can be in Christ this morning. If you will look to God's provision for sin and sorrow and suffering, you look to Jesus Christ and you trust in him. We sing the song, Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him we Stand, And I hope and trust that is true of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. What a gift. 
a gift of your grace to us. And I pray that would be true of every single person in here. So we ask your Spirit's work in each heart to let them see Jesus. And even now, Lord, those of us who know you and we're coming to the Lord's table, we thank you for the one who died for us to give us life. May that be very real to us now in these moments. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.